0: The Wiggly Podcast. Let your iPod bloom. Or oh, the Wiggly Podcast, your weekly escape to life in rural Herefordshire. We're covering the environment, we're covering farming, biodiversity, and the things we can do to make a difference. I'm Heather, Managing Director, allegedly of Wiggly Wigglers, and I'm joined today by my co host,
1: Richard.
0: A bit of rural rough.
1: Meth.
2: <laughs> 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 Uh,
0: Farmer Phil's joining us today.
2: A bit of rural rougher. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and we've got so much that's gone on at Wiggly Wigglers this week that we're going to race through that. But Richard's been off to the Wildlife Forum in London, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. We've got Monty coming in with his worm cast. But first, the question on everybody's lips, every listener's lips, from Luxembourg to California, from Washington to Bredodine is... Farmer Phil, have you received your single farm payment?
2: Not a hope. <laughs> no change there then. However, I have got a question for our co-host Ricardo because since I discovered that he is also a single farm payment applicant I wondered whether he got his. No. Not at all, and I haven't
1: heard anything back for ages. I had to re-register some common uh, grazing rights that we've got, and that's probably put another spanner in the works, but no. I did hear something in the news the other day. Aren't aren't, um, the RPA
2: going to send out loans? They're talking about doing partial payments, but of course that causes them (coughs) a lot more work, which is (laughs) they're not going (laughs) to deal with very well. the whole process again. And they are getting a bit worried now because the deadline of the end of June, the EC have set this deadline, And what happens then is that if they haven't paid money out at that point, rather than the EEC paying the money, the British government has to pay it. Right. And they're not going to like that. No. One would assume the taxpayer aren't going to like that much either. No. Um, And it's quite difficult for us farmers because it makes us look as if all we're interested in is subsidy. And if the British taxpayer has to pick up the whole bill, that'll sharpen the idea up again. And it's bad PR for everyone concerned.
0: And now I must interrupt here because we've got a little bit of a whinging going on there, Phil, haven't we, I think? And um, on Sunday Sunday, we went to the St George's Day Cub Scout Parade and, surprisingly enough, we went to the pub and got talking to our friend and neighbour, Sharon Fenn, who had a bit of controversy from her point of view on the single farm payment and there was a little bit of a row on there, wasn't there, Phil?
2: (laughs) Well, Sharon is is one of the many people in the country who have, for, for want of a better phrase, got a pony paddock or a little bit of ground that goes with their house, and the government, in their wisdom, decided for some reason that is entirely beyond me that they wanted to give them agricultural subsidy. For why, I can't possibly know. Well,
0: is it because they've changed the pony paddock to be more environmentally friendly, or is it because they've developed you know, the hedges or something?
2: Well, whether that might have been the intent from the government, the result is no, they haven't changed anything. But the, the result is that they've got all these applicants with these little small areas of land that weren't included in the original farm subsidy system, and so they've got to process all that work. But worse than that, they had their money in March. And this didn't cheer me up very much at all. Right. And I just think, well, you know, here's agricultural subsidy. It's simple, I suppose. It was such a small pocket. And, That's yeah. right. But, I mean, then you get into the political aspect of it, that that was an easy number to chalk up on the board, wasn't it? That yeah, you, yeah. you pay the pony paddock 150 quid. Yeah which is what they're due. Is that
1: what they're getting? 150 quid? Something like that. But oh, they had to
2: give £140 of it to the land agent who filled their form in. Oh, <laughs> so right. it's not much of a <laughs> gain. No, not at all.
0: How many extra applicants did that bring?
2: I don't the... know accurately, but it's tens of thousands.
0: There we are. He's not go. got it. So <laughs> it's, it's porridge with water, not milk. For you? Absolutely.
1: That's unlikely.
0: <laughs> I do like a bit of porridge.
1: You do like porridge. You, yes. like your, you like your oats, don't you? I
0: saw, you know I told you about porridge that you can take camp in a little pot. Yeah. Well, Quaker Oats have started doing it now and it's oh, sold right. in supermarkets. Is
1: that one of the ones you crack open it kind of warms itself? Yeah. Right. Amazing. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay, onward to Phil who's been planting his peas. That's, Over to you, Rich.
1: It's interesting we're going to talk about peas. I put loads in my garden recently hmm. and there doesn't seem much movement on the pea front. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> well that's probably for several reasons yeah. until recently the soil temperature has still been quite low right and also it's quite dry yeah it is um, isn't it i think now that the soil temperature is rising um, we would have planted our peas a little earlier than this had our supplier of seed actually remembered to deliver the seed right <laughs> yeah but i don't think it matters particularly i think we're in ideal conditions for them I mean, You're going to put them in the ground now, yep. when do you expect them to, to germinate? Well, they will germinate almost straight away. Um, we plant them quite deep so that you won't see them for a week, perhaps ten days. Right. But the peas that we grow are vining peas. Uh, we don't actually grow them for vining, we grow them to produce seed for another farmer to plant to grow vining peas which are then harvested green to go into your bird's eye frozen peas. I see. Is there a reason you plant them quite deep to stop little perishes like mice and voles digging them up? Well pigeons are our biggest problem. Right. Um, we don't get so much trouble with mice and voles and things like that or if we do I don't think it's significant but pigeons can lay waste to the job particularly if they can get at the seed. Yeah, yeah, I'm So sure. that um, we have to spend quite a lot of time deterring them.
0: What right. about slugs?
2: Slugs and peas don't seem to be a problem. They can be if the peas are only growing very slowly. But usually at this time of year, the, when they get going, they'll grow very, very quickly. Hmm. And they will outstrip the slugs. So that we d- we've very rarely had a problem with slugs on peas.
0: We've planted lots in the garden and I went out this morning and checked in the slug trap. Yeah. And it's full of them.
1: Is it? Yep, Excellent. loads of them. Excellent. So
0: they don't like Carlsberg Lager. Well,
1: I do like well, it. Well, they do <laughs> like Oh, yeah, it. they do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I do, it's not done them much good. No, they
1: don't they're <laughs> like spending lots of time swimming about in it, do they? No. <laughs> I have seen the effect of Carlsberg Lager on you, Heaven. Do you, good.
0: <laughs> Moving on.
1: And actually, before you go, what I should say is thanks very much for helping us out with our first Worms course the other day. Not at all. I thoroughly enjoyed it the way you treated people was inspired so it's a nice opportunity actually it's very rare that you go on a course that's going to offer some form of environmental education but to be able to go out on site with somebody that has a you know has a, a degree of empathy and look at all things bovine and
2: and you know, land management strategies and you know, the went kind of well and the feedback shows that they enjoy the day so that's the main thing isn't that's it? right absolutely yeah, yeah we'll
0: hear some of that feedback in a little bit yeah i think the cows are going out aren't they to play?
2: Very soon, yep. Yeah. Any day now, the grass has grown sufficiently and the weather is nice, the cows will go out and yeah. they will enjoy that. This time of year is great for them. They go out, change their coats, they start to look sleek and shiny and they, they just love it.
0: Should we have a report on that, Phil? Because I think they are going to have a bit of skipping if cows can skip.
2: Well, they charge around, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's their favourite time of the year because there's plenty to eat. It's sunny and warm and there's no flies. So that for a cow, this sort of month now is about cow heaven as long as the weather's nice. Mm. And the flies get going a bit later on. It gets a bit more tedious for them, but they really enjoy going out. But they
0: oh. have got that dangly bit on the bottom of their tail to flick off the fly.
2: Oh, yeah, they, you know, they manage it.
0: Thank you, Farmer Phil. We'll see you next week.
2: Hi, Ryan. Are you all right? Yes, fine, thank you. I-, I should
1: introduce you. I should, I should say um, that you help us out with, with a great many things here at Blakemere. And one particular thing that you are extremely good at is providing really tasty food Ugh. lunches for people that come to courses here and visitors and our open days and whatnot. We had a first worms course.
3: That's right, yeah, Wednesday. Yes, day was it? Uh, uh, Wednesday.
1: Wednesday, that's right. And you did a lunch, and we've got some feedback, and everybody has put excellent. Oh. So everybody's, you've got number ones in all, in all categories. Oh, the, for wonderful. The, for the refreshments, so that's really yeah, good. Yeah, great. To I know Heather's put you on the spot a bit today, but yes. I just invited you to come in she here. She usually and, does, yeah, yes. And, and, and chat to us, but yeah, that's usually the way. I'm just wondering, Recently, I've been giving you CDs, haven't I? I've kind of recorded some CDs. Yes, yes, and yes. And then given you uh, mm. copies of our podcast to take home. And you mm-hmm. were telling me earlier on that there's been a debate going on.
3: Oh, yes. <laughs> Over the border in Wales, actually. Yeah, my, right. my family are a farming family. Right. The feedback's coming in, you know. I'm on garbage side. That Richard doesn't know what he's on about. <laughs> and then someone else will come in. <laughs> And Pam, my daughter, it's gone the other way now. It's gone gel Park. it's gone Hereford way. Right, right. And the same feedback's coming all the time, you know. People are really getting into it. Yeah, yeah. You're really causing quite a ripple.
1: That's it. Uh... <laughs> It's incredible, isn't yeah. it? It's incredible that people find it so interesting. I mean, perhaps, you know, perhaps it's not incredible, but it's great. <laughs> I should say, bad choice of words. It's great that well, people yes, find I it so people, interesting. Well, yes, I think
3: people, when you sort of mention podcasts, people sort of say, well, you know, they don't know what it is. Then when you say, well, you can have a CD, wow, yeah.
1: Yeah, and you obviously like them because you... Oh, I think they're sick. wonderful,
3: yes. I peel my potatoes and do my boring jobs, and so I got this in the, the kitchen, and the it's wonderful. Podcast.
1: What's your favourite one so far, do you think?
3: I like the hedging debate, I think. I'm sorry to be... I suppose everybody... Yeah.
1: I think that's probably one of my favourites, actually. Yeah. kind of healthy debate, mm. you know, good arguments.
3: I <clears throat> I missed the supermarket one somewhere along the line right. with Dick Barker, but...
1: Oh, I missed, I'll record that for you then. Yeah, I
3: yeah. missed that one, but okay. I'm looking forward to the next lot alright
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's brilliant Yeah. yeah. cheers Rian it's really well, good we've got a whole summer stretching ahead of us have where you're going to be doing all sorts of um, yeah. lovely lunches and tea yeah. parties and all sorts of things for mm. this year so.
3: I'm actually being re-educated actually because I'm going now into Tesco's and walking past things and I'm not having that I'm not having that where can I get that yeah. Whereas you'd sort of pick up your tomatoes and not think really, yeah, yeah. but I mean I just walk past them and if they're not from anything to do with British or Guernsey or wherever, I don't have them. <laughs> Full stop. And Fair we place. managed yeah. with our catering so far to practically do everything British. Absolutely
1: mm. fantastic, and um, most of the products come from Herefordshire as well, don't they? Yeah, locally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: Excellent.
1: Practically everything. Cheers, Rian. Thanks for coming in. Anyway, thank you very much for coming in. I'm going to chat with OK, of... I'll
3: get back to my domestic I, duties. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> thank you. No rest for the wicked. No, none she, at all. Cheers.
0: On to feedback. Rich, we've got a couple of questions for you. Mm. A bit of rural rough expert that you are.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you like that expression, <laughs> I do. don't you? That's, your, yeah. that's today's newest expression.
0: Yeah. Here it is from Caroline Morgan. I have a quick question I hope you will be able to answer, Richard. Mm. It concerns bees. We have some bees digging holes in our lawn. They look like fluffy honeybees but are ready orange. We don't know what they are. My husband thought that they might be mason bees but we don't know if the nest is in the ground. Can you help us identify them? Thanks and keep up the good work. Still listening to the podcasts and looking forward to them. Caroline.
1: There seems to be loads of different species of solitary bees this year. I've noticed at home I was digging the vegetable patch and I was digging up lots of little fairy bees you know they're trying to get in the ground as I was digging trying to get my seeds in and I think perhaps it's because it's been a proper winter and everything's woken up when it should do rather than perhaps waking up prematurely and dying you know so that that the population suffers but I wouldn't be able to give an idea really of what the what the exact species was because there are something I I mean somebody (laughs)
0: bothers to ask you a question and no answer well I
1: could say what they might be but I you know I think it would be sheer folly to do that because there's something like 247 different species of bee in this country
0: but you know sure. I I let's give look you, at the clues I could
1: tell you what fluffy they honeybees, yeah, but fluffy wouldn't honeybees wouldn't that be
0: a bumblebee no all in the ground no I think right. she's
1: talking about something the size of a honeybee rather than a bumblebee I think right. she would probably have realised that they were bumblebees because bumblebees are two or three times the size of honeybees, aren't they? There
0: is one with a red bum,
1: isn't there? There are several different types of solitary bees with red bums, and there is a bumblebee with a red bum, Yeah, yeah. It's called a red-tailed bumblebee, strangely enough. Good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there are different categories, different uh, groups of bees as well. So you've got your leafcutter bees, your masonry bees, your mason bees, your mining bees, etc, etc. And your Chances honeybees. Chances are, and your, when your honeybees different groups but chances are it's one of the species of uh, mining bees of which there are several and i wouldn't really like to hazard a guess as to what it is without seeing it but either way (laughs) <laughs> like if she can Caroline. accommodate them in a lawn, then fair play, yeah. you know.
0: Caroline, this is your task. Go out with your camera and take a picture of that buzzy bee yep. and email richard at wigglywigglers.co.uk because he wants to know now
1: Yeah, I do want what to know it know. is. If you, if you email the photograph, I'll, I'll yeah. um, find out for you.
0: And on the subject of photographs, next week, I can't wait, we've got Mr Harding coming in, who is a customer of Wiggly Wigglers who takes lots of fantastic bird photos to tell us how to
1: do it. Right.
0: Here's the next one. It's from Kate Petten. She says, in the last month, my intrepid six-year-old, that must be a child, has captured two... <laughs>
1: oh, I, think the, I think the clue's in the expression, definitely. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a
0: human. <laughs> my my yeah. intrepid six-year-old, yeah. human, just yeah. <laughs> has captured... Two harlequin ladybirds. Apparently, these types of ladybirds are destroying our native ladybirds. What I was wondering is, should we be xenophobic about this sort of thing? And when should we applaud it as part of nature's survival of the fittest?
1: Yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, I can ad- I can address that first. The whole unfortunate thing about harlequin ladybirds is they've been brought into this country as m- many species are brought into many countries purely on-, on the back of human activities. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they are a- an incredible successful species in much the same way as grey squirrels are, for instance. Yeah. And uh, and again, it's a question of sort of. Damage limitation. I think the, 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 the harlequin ladybirds are here to stay. The unfortunate thing is is they are a uh, successful species because they're very versatile. Mm. They're voracious feeders on, on aphids and whatnot, but the trouble is if they eat all the aphids, then they can turn their attentions to other things, so beneficial insects and other ladybirds. They are cannibalistic. I, I mean, interestingly enough, our seven-spot spot ladybirds are cannibalistic and they'll often wait for another ladybird to land... And just before it closes its wings, they'll leap on and, you know, get <laughs> stuck into it. Good Lord. So, yeah, that, so... Um, More
0: gory than the post-mortem yeah, last week. Yeah, so, which... so
1: they are... It's, it's a very difficult situation. I mean, I mean, I think it's probably best not to be xenophobic about, about most things, you know, to take a, a, an overview of it.
0: I was talking to Mikey P., you know, my friend and yours the other day, very yeah. keen countryman, yeah. and he said his point was that we've muddled things up so much that now our responsibility is to manage it as best we can.
1: That's right.
0: OK, one more little piece of feedback. his blue tits. Off you went, didn't you, Rovin Richard? I'd really like to hear more about her allotment. Yeah. So I know you're going back.
1: That's all, I think we had slight difficulty, didn't we, in the last podcast to fit everything in. Yeah. Um, so what I'm going to do is do an update, go back there then try and record the chicks chirping. And, Excellent. Uh, and try and you know, um, paint a picture of their big yellow gapes and whatnot. And then they had a gorgeous garden. So it's small but you know, particularly useful for wildlife. So um, hopefully I'll go back there and, and we can go back out into the garden and then you know, they can wax lyrical about all the efforts they're making to accommodate the wildlife.
0: Now, it's a job for you to get through the door because of your head, I know, but I'm going to have to read this little bit of feedback out. (laughs) Here she goes. Richard was lovely. He convinced me to try some bokashi, which has speeded up my kitchen composting far better than anything else I've tried. I'm a convert. And she says, we now have ten eggs, and the male is feeding the female while she incubates. Mm. And so if you want to go to Frankie's blog, there's a link from... Wigglywigglers.blogspot.com, and it's allotment21, and you can see the update of Frankie's blue tips. Right. Last bit of feedback. Uh There was a deadly silence on the post-mortem. So I don't know if we went too far or not, but hopefully you're still there, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Just one little bit of feedback on the post-mortem. It says, keep up the good work. The post-mortem was great radio. My father is a retired vet, and I'm going to see him in the week, so I'll make sure he has a listen. Cheers, Jane. So, I don't know what you all thought of it, but Alison said she listened to it when she was in the bath, and it was like, oh as it soared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's part of life, and it's part of the farm, so... um, What did you think of it, Rich?
1: I thought it was great. I I thought it was brilliant, really good radio.
0: Oh, well, we'll see. If if you'd like to email us with your views, it would be really great because obviously we don't want to upset your tea. Mm -hmm. And so here we have the contrast between the Heather Week and the Richard Week. Yeah. The Heather Week consists of having her photo taken for the mail on Sunday, lying down in amongst 4,000 mealworms, with Jody dribbling on lumbicus terrestris onto my face which then went into my mouth all for the picture for the mail on sunday
1: <laughs> things you do oh! eh? things you do to promote the company
0: yeah and you know i could feel the little white bit that comes out of the, the top of the worm's head on oh, my that's tongue
1: some, that's more information than anybody needs it's
0: probably <laughs> Anyway, it was for a podcast article right? because the Mail on Sunday phoned up and said that there was mega opportunities for podcasts and blogs in small business, yeah. but they weren't taking them up right. and that she could understand exactly why this was. And it was because small business was generally part of the community and they could just talk to people.
1: Right. How but wrong could it right? be? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and explained how our community is involved in our podcast, and it's fantastic. So we'll see what what comes out of that. But your week, yeah, May on Sunday, Mm. but your week, what a contrast to mine. So there I am, lying on the floor in amongst the worms. And where are you?
1: Well, this week's been ridiculous for me. I've been all over the place. I haven't slept much this week from frantically worrying about episodes <laughs> through the course of the week that I can expect. But Monday, that? Like Monday, I went down to London. English Nature, we mentioned earlier on, have set up a gardening for wildlife forum. Yeah. They've invited various organisations, some NGOs, some government organisations and, and some from the commercial sector, to be part of this forum, to be able to feed into and get ideas from um, with regard to how to promote Garden for Wildlife, in effect. So anyway, the beginning of the day, got down there and we thought it'd be a great idea to do some recording for the podcast, interview a few people. So i spoke to Sharon Gunn, who was partly responsible for, for coordinating the day, Um, Whether or not that'd be possible, and she so she stood up in front of everybody at the beginning of the day and said, "Richard Fishman, Wiggly Wiggles has come down. Um, Would anybody have any objections if he recorded a couple of nice little sound bites about what you're doing there, what you're hoping to achieve, etc., etc.?" Great, I thought. So lunchtime came. Opened my bag up, got the little recorder out, switched it on. No flash disk. (laughs) Despite
0: the fact that I put it ready for you with the two discs on top of the recording device, you did,
1: you did, you did. uh, But but foolishly on my part, I... (laughs) I expected there were to be one inside the thing also. I thought, oh, that'll be sufficient. <laughs> I remember sweeping the compact flashes <laughs> to the side of the, of the thing. I thought, no, I don't want any more to take down there. So uh, yeah, of course. Oh thought that was it. Frantic then. So you know when you, you you have a blind panic, it's like opening an exam paper and not being able to answer the questions. I still you're at school. remember it. Yeah, you feel sick, don't you? you? Have this. I thought, my God, what a wasted opportunity. So I thought, right, all is not lost. Time to compose myself. Ran down, <laughs> so, down the stairs, <laughs> ran down, you know several flights of stairs. It's got a big conference building and uh, spoke to a guy on reception who was so helpful top bloke said right I said, are there any places that sell IT equipment around here? He said, "Um, there are a couple of places, Dixon's. Because his sense of urgency wasn't quite the same (laughs) as mine. I had a small window of opportunity. (laughs) And uh, I said, well, yeah, that that might be worth a crack. He said, what sort of thing do you want? I said, well, it's a little disc, you know, a little disc that goes into a recording device. What sort of recording device? I said, well, you know, like something that you record people talking on. Yeah, you really are. Oh, uh, my God, here we go. So I ran back upstairs, got the thing. He said, oh, that's called a compact flash. I said, oh, is it? I said, well, that's what I need," then he said. "Right, well, I know where we could get one of those." So off we went, walking quite quickly. You know, I was trying to sort of speed him up, draw him along. You know, even though he was telling me where to go. We went to this market, just this is um, just off Victoria. There's a guy selling them there, but he couldn't open them, so he couldn't you know, because obviously he couldn't sell a product after he opened it. So we went into, shop into Jessops. The guy behind the counter, big queues because it's lunchtime, of course, big queues. Guy behind the counter had no idea what he was doing there, really. I mean, I mean, he was just sort of functioning, you know, one of those, one of those people that just got kind of to function. And uh, so I said, look, I need something for this. Anyway, he managed to open the packet and we tried it and it didn't work. I thought, oh, no, this is all going terribly wrong. Last try, another shop just round the corner run in there. The guy said, Well, this should work. I can't open it, but it should work. So I thought, Right, okay, well buy it anyway. So I bought the thing. I cut yeah, it open. That's in a the miracle. Shop. Yeah, yeah. Well it's your money, so <laughs>
4: uh, <yeah>.
1: <laughs> So <laughs> Cut it open and popped it in, pressed the record button. Hey presto! You know we have this feeling of huge relief. So I, I almost sort of embraced this guy that just met my <laughs> new my new chum, and we we ran back to the conference hall. Anyway, I got back up there up there, and. One of the people I wanted to speak to was a doctor from um, Essex University who had been doing a study for, for several years now on uh, the effects of uh, nature and the natural world on, on human health. So she was really inspiring. She she, you know, she she talked very well. So as I ran up the stairwell in this conference hall, she was coming down, she was just leaving. And I said, ah, I need to speak to you just before you go. And I said, oh, OK. Um, so I managed to uh, give a, have an interview with Rachel, who, was, um, who spoke very eloquently, who listened to.
0: Well, we would listen to it. But unfortunately, there's no time now because the story of you getting (laughs) the disc means that sadly, (laughs) there's
1: no Uh, interview. So
0: thank you. Today,
1: but I haven't, and... finished. I haven't finished yet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I should explain for the listener more the, the idea um, the way we were, we're able to make a contribution to this Garden for Wildlife Forum uh, from our perspective is to say how we can encourage people to garden to wildlife by, by you know, encouraging them to buy certain products, providing support and advice, which of course we do at Wiggly's, you know, to send them in the right direction really and provide that essential uh, knowledge that they need. So the day was very worthwhile. It would be interesting for me to see how they progress with things, how English nature progress with things, but I know we're going to maintain a relationship. But the, I mean, the other people that, that I interviewed, it's, uh, interestingly enough, a, the editor from BBC Wildlife magazine, Sophie Stafford, um, was able to articulate her, you know, her ambitions and the, the reason that she was there. A chap who had a great name called Dusty Gedge, who works with Living Roofs. That was really good. And I spoke to another person who works with Bug Life, A charity set up to preserve and support uh, invertebrate life in the UK, uh, called Kathy Wormold. Oh,
0: (laughs) love it!
1: Yeah. So at the uh, moment we had Rosie
0: boycott banning roses from Kenya. (laughs) Kathy Wormold. Well, uh, hopefully we will be able to fit those interviews in, Richard. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So it makes for interesting listening, I think. Okay, we're off. Who are you and what are you doing here?
5: Uh, my name is Rachel Hine, I work at the University of Essex with Jules Critty and a multidisciplinary team looking into the health benefits of access to um, natural places and nature. Right,
1: right. I listened to your, your talk earlier on, Rachel. It's very good, it's very inspiring. Um and what what were you sort of hoping to achieve by coming here today?
5: Well, really just to give some evidence, um, some some real uh, figures, if you like, uh, to, to prove that something that we all have an inkling about already, that being, uh, being outside in nature is good for you. Right,
1: right. And so
5: we wanted to illustrate this by looking at our research and, sh- and sharing the findings, really, just to give people more ammunition, if you like, for their, their own funding bids, if they all the organisations here today are, are, are looking for re- other reasons to yeah. justify their existence and to take their, their work further. And if we can help them with that, that's great.
1: There's definitely mileage isn't there? Mm, and I mean, for you, sure. you know, if you can encourage people to use the countryside for, mm. for best effect for their own personal yeah. selves, then you know, and it's obviously going to rub off on all the other organisations that who are are that here today. What does your work entail generally? I mean, you're going to go back now, and you're going to what are you going to what are you going to find yourself doing when you go back to to Essex University?
5: Oh, goodness, we've got all sorts of things going on at the moment. From um, the, the thing that I'm most interested in at the moment, or one of the things, is um, setting up of a, a UK wide care farming initiative where people can go and work on farms. Uh, for the benefit of their own health, uh, for the benefit of the countryside. It's really linking people back to the countryside, reconnecting people back to nature. And care farming is an exciting um, new way of doing that, good for farmers as well, good for the countryside. We're doing doing all sorts of different work um, at Essex, ranging from um, the comparison of how effective traditional treatment for mild to moderate depression is compared to say a healthy walk, a bit of green exercise Uh, all sorts of things really we're also looking at
1: of wholesome stuff really isn't it all sorts of different things yeah. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. could,
5: I could go on <laughs> for hours about all the different things that we're yeah. doing and other links with other organisations that are doing some fantastic work sure. and a lot of people are going in the same direction right. you know, sort of it, it's green exercise is becoming a buzzword yeah. um, that yeah. government departments are, are looking into as well which is great and putting some money behind and, uh, yeah, just getting, getting people out there. Nature is good for you.
1: It is, absolutely. <laughs> and on that note, thanks very much, Rachel. And you've uh, got some fantastic sandy dreads, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
5: Cheers,
1: thanks. Sophie, can you uh, explain a little bit about yourself and why you're here today and what you're hoping to achieve by being here today
6: okay my name is Sophie Stafford and I've been editor of BBC Wildlife magazine for the past two years right. um, BBC Wildlife is uh, really concerned that with the urban um, environment encroaching on the countryside many of our most favorite mammals birds and insects are having their homes taken away from them so the garden environment is really becoming one of the most essential places for the future of wildlife
1: yeah excellent and so you're you're obviously you're representing your magazine by being here today what are you hoping that the, the forum will achieve?
6: Well, really, there are some really excellent people here who are all very involved in conserving our wildlife. And hopefully, by getting together here today, we can identify ways in which we can together um, educate the public to achieve common goals. It basically comes down to saving species, preserving habitats. And with this garden habitat being really, really important, it's a way of uh, telling people, identifying ways we can tell people just how valid, important their gardens are. And and just what they can do to improve them
1: okay fantastic um, and the other thing i wanted to ask you is you, you were talking earlier on we were doing a sat down together doing a workshop and you, you mentioned earlier on about some of the articles that you like to write and the contributions that you like people to make um i mean could you could you sort of give people an idea if they're if they're looking to to contribute something to bbc wildlife magazine um what kind of thing would you would you like to get from from people to, that, you know, what sort of contributions would you like
6: well, we're really keen to hear from um, people who who've got a huge passion for species and basically have maybe been um monitoring um the animals in their garden really closely maybe they have really special stories um also anybody who has questions and um, we have a whole panel of experts so people quite often write to us and say i found this i spotted that what is it so we're often trying to teach people about uh, what they're seeing what they're finding what they're experiencing in their local environment um also um, Letters, if people feel passionately. Um, we had a lady write to us recently about a dormouse hedge that she was concerned was being pulled up, right. and, and we, we basically put that in the magazine. So it's all about raising awareness of issues that matter to, to everyday people and actually you know, giving them to us to see if we can help with them.
1: Excellent. Cheers, Sophie. Thank you very much. Hiya. Oh, yeah. You've got an interest in now, haven't you? <laughs> Dusty edge, yeah, I suppose it is, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's fantastic. Now, um, what are you? Uh, why are you here today? I'm here because uh, I'm speaking about
4: green roofs in terms of how they can fit into uh, gardens and wildlife. So I'm here to promote to people the opportunities, um, especially in urban areas, of creating wildlife-friendly habitat on roof spaces. Right, right. Personal
1: roofs which nobody goes on. Yeah, you showed us some great slides earlier on. I mean, it's interesting once you say that you've got some, you know, isolated roofs where no one goes out on, but a lot of those roofs, of course, are overlooked, aren't they? Yeah. And, but some, like you say, provide a discreet but necessary habitat for, yeah. for inverts and, and, and birds and animals yeah. alike. You mentioned a, a roof space uh, that's been geared for uh, red stars. Yeah, well
4: that's how it all started. I mean, there's over three hundred thousand square meters of green roofs going up for black red stars and, right. and they're not so going to be green, they're gonna be flower rich. And this word green does cause me problems because yeah. uh, most most things in the summer are never very green. Right. And it's interesting actually from a from a from a, from a, a public point of view, is uh, I get about a hundred emails a week of people saying I want a green roof which is wildlife friendly. Right. And there's not much information out there about how to do it and it's best um, you know, we we just written a leaflet for english nature and we're going to hopefully by the end of some quite detailed stuff on the website about how people do it themselves there's a lot of myths about it it's actually very very simple
1: so do you feel that people are are more conscious over their roofs now do you think there's a there's 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 a growing interest
4: because of partly wildlife but also climate change people want to be doing something which is good
1: yeah Yeah. and they're beautiful as well aren't they i mean oh yeah that's that's the thing it's
4: beautiful it's fun yeah, it, beauty is fun I mean what I say to people who do their own is look don't get hung up about all the commercial products do it yourself and if at the end of the day it doesn't look very very good or you're not happy with that bit break it open and put some seeds on it you know, have some yeah. fun with it you know. yeah. but yeah. don't over garden it because these things should be self-sustaining yeah. and if you you know, just throw some seeds on it see what happens you know? because it's it's funny, it's it never you know, because depending on the type, they will never get too unruly
1: you are they relatively easy to create a roof garden? Well, they are,
4: but there's some, its a building, so you have to you have to check your structure and your waterproofing, and yeah. then decide. But you know, it's worth it's worth um, it's worth getting some advice from it. And there is, you know, Living Roof provides some free advice because that's yeah. what it's out to do. And, and there's a point where we can't. You know. yeah, so but you I, know. I say to people is don't get hung up about what they look like, right. Because right. they will look alright. Yeah, eventually. Yeah. I like do good things. Like like eventually, time. Time. No, even yeah. eventually. Some of the commercial products, which look very nice in brochures, aren't necessarily going to have the
1: legs. (laughs) Yeah, you? are absolutely right. Excellent. Well, cheers, Dusty. Thanks for that, and uh, hopefully I'll speak to you. We're on. So can I ask you um, who you are and uh, why you've come today?
7: I'm Cathy Wormold. I'm Development Manager for the Inversewood Conservation Trust. And the main reason why we're here today is because gardens have become a wild, well, a wildlife haven for invertebrates. Right. Um, for example, if we look at bumblebees, it is now suspected that there are more bumblebees in domestic gardens than there are in the wider countryside. Right. So we want to promote people promote wildlife gardens.
1: Yeah, sure, yeah, absolutely. I know what you mean. So, so really, what what are you sort of hoping to achieve by coming along to uh, English Nature's gardening for wildlife forum?
7: Well first, it gives us an opportunity to network with other people doing the same thing as us because we're all doing this but we need to sort of get together, coordinate our efforts and make sure that we're reaching as wide an audience as possible yeah. There's also companies that come along to the gardening forum so it also gives us an opportunity to work with companies to discuss with them how they can promote wildlife gardening yeah. So overall it's a good way for us to network, but then also to make sure that we're all getting the message out there, very clear and concise message to gardeners. Right,
1: right, excellent. I know we've spoken before, um, but I'm just wondering, what sort of projects is your your charity working on at the moment? You've got quite a range of work ongoing, haven't you?
7: We've got an enormous amount of range of work ongoing. Um, we're doing a Essex Bumblebee survey, where we're asking residents of Essex um, to uh, let us know about certain bumblebees if they spot. That will be launched later, well, probably next year. Right, right. We're working with Dusty Gedge of Living Roofs, um, and we're going to be building a brown roof at Tilbury Power Station. Oh, wow. we've got our Soft Rock Cliffs project, which is looking at the invertebrate biodiversity of Soft Rock Cliffs. It's a very under-researched area, Soft Rock Cliffs. Right. And we've got our Scarlet Malachi Beetle Survey which is asking residents to let us know of sightings of this very rare little back priority listed species. Um, it's only found in a few areas of England. It comes out for three weeks of the year, suddenly is there, then disappears, and we know very little about it. So right, the project right. will be raising public awareness, but also on the back of that project, we can do some serious ecology research on the beetle. Excellent, fantastic. So,
1: all sorts of really exciting stuff. And your, yeah, your organisation yeah. is very much sort of up and coming, isn't it? You know, it's, go, it's, gonna, it's we, going great guns. Yeah,
7: we were only actually launched in April 2004, and since then, we've just. Really taken off. Um, public interest is enormous. Funders are keen for us to to, to be successful. Right. So we're really, really busy. Um, What's
1: the best way for people to contact your organisation?
7: Well, the best thing is to go onto our website at right. www.buglife.org.uk right. okay. and the best way you can help us is to become a friend of Buglife. Right. Join us and you can help us conserve, conserve
0: the little things that run the world.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Kathy. Cheers. So
0: thank you. All oh, you do, go on quick, Rich. Introduce Monty.
1: Hi, Monty. How are you?
5: The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty. A weekly fact on worms. Worms have crops like pigeons. After they have swallowed, the food goes into the crop, which is a sort of food storage department. From there, the food goes off to the gizzard.
0: Thank you, Monty. Just before we go, the wiggly courses are going really well. Well, we thought they were. We enjoyed them, didn't we, Rich?
1: We did. Yeah. Did anyone
0: else enjoy them?
1: I think so. Well, we've had two so far this year, haven't we? We've had Jenny Steele's, um, where Jenny looks at natural gardening.
0: Yep, I wasn't here that day. No,
1: you were I was were, at were. my
0: brother in law's wedding. Congratulations, Bissy and Jean.
1: And then we had a, a worms course on Wednesday, which uh, Rian and I spoke about earlier on. Mm-hmm. And, and that equally went very well. That was our first official advertised course wasn't it okay so um and we've got a series of courses throughout the year we've got courses at the, the dates of which you know i think
0: oh he drops me in it they're on the website listener but the next jenny Steele course which is a full day is on the 22nd of june and we've got various courses coming up family day i think is nearly booked so if you want nice. to squeeze onto that one do it quick anyway tell me what they say
1: well, a, a, a mixed response, but tending to be along the same lines. It, it seems that everyone had a, had a, a fantastic day. We i like looked have to take them um,
0: off him because he's too um, modest then. Overall comments, very interesting, fun day, <laughs> enjoyable, informative, excellent, fantastic day, much better than others I have been on. They like the weather. Well, we'll fix that for mm. next time, no problem. You know
1: what, I was sat out there, we were talking about effects of chemicals, Phil was, was waxing lyrical about, you know, his, his, the way he farms. And there was a, a cuckoo in my left ear, yeah. and there was a skylark in my right. And I thought, you know, what a perfect setting. How could it be better?
0: And what birds did Jenny steal? We must put on our bird list. Uh,
1: Jenny saw a pair of blackcaps. There are about a pair of blackcaps in the garden, but Jenny was a pair of blackcaps on Saturday.
0: Fantastic. Mm. Anyway, thanks to Jenny for that. And on the subject of Jenny, the book has gone to print today... And I've got the first tiny review. I'm not going to give you the punchline, but Elspeth Thompson from the Daily Telegraph really liked it. Appreciated the wiggly design, not just a gimmick. Surprisingly easy to read. It made me feel that I wanted to up sticks and come and work with you all. I always rated the company, but now I feel I know much more about you all. Blah, blah, blah. So looking good.
1: Excellent. Yep.
0: That'll be out middle of May. Bye for now. Bye. Today, by my co host Richard, a bit of rural rough.
1: Yeah, I actually want me to respond to that. You pick these things up and you throw them into the equation. Michael holds his hands up in the air. We all roll around laughing, and again, the whole strategy for trying to do it as quickly and smoothly as possible is <laughs> <as> completely <laughs> scuppered.